0: For another episode of A Connector with your host Mark Foreman, who happens to be me. Yeah, there's so much going on in this world right now. A lot of crazy stuff. I know back in the states, um, a lot with the um, impeachment hearings. And uh, one 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 announcement that I think is good: the uh, the Senate and Congress confirmed that there will be uh, a bill to support the. Um, Hong Kong protests and support Hong Kong in terms of what's going on there. And I think that's good. Obviously, there's a lot going on in the world uh, between the US and China and trade. And of course, I think trade is just a part of it. But obviously, uh, for those of you that are in business and like myself, does have an impact uh, actually dealing with a lot of issues on a daily basis uh, with existing and new customers in terms of how to better mitigate deal with uh, the impact of, uh, of the tariffs. And of course, Vietnam has been getting a lot more business because of that. Um, I was just talking with a good friend of mine, a classmate and uh, that's uh, based there. And, uh, you know, things are just blowing up there. Uh, he was mentioning that it looks like there might be some upcoming labor shortages because uh, Vietnam doesn't have the population size of China. So even though Uh, There is a lot of factories there, more and more, and uh, a willing labor force, there is still a limit to the labor force. That being said, in China, uh, with a much larger labor force, less and less people are willing to take factory jobs because their standard of living has already increased. So the labor pool is shrinking, although it's still huge. And of course, uh, the labor cost is going up. uh, So some of the deals Uh, that were had there due to lower labor costs, and no tariffs are now being severely impacted due to higher labor costs, less labor, and tariffs. Okay, one of the things uh, I want to talk about while we're on the subject of China, uh, because of some of the challenges i just mentioned, and also because of the background basically being uh, a communist system, like, you know, remember when the Soviet Union collapsed and uh, so now it's Russia and people, some people are dealing with Russia to do business there. You'd think, wow, you know, so much is changing. Uh, There should be a really positive response. Well, uh, a lot of people indicated that when they first started dealing with the the new non-Soviet Russian businesses, basically, instead of getting good communication and cooperation in terms of the long-term business relationship, Many of the Russian suppliers uh, basically took deposit money uh, and just never delivered on what they were supposed to. And of course, many uh, many Western uh, business people were baffled. Now, why would they do that? Why would they, you know, grab a little bit of money on the table and uh, you know because of that lose out on so much more money for the long term? And actually, many of them, many of the Russians just didn't have a long-term view. They grew up in a communist system which basically uh, was not a very promising outlook for the future. There Basically, uh, was no future to be excited about. So you just grab uh, what you can to survive today. Well, in China, I think some of that might be happening again because of the issues I mentioned. I think a lot of factories there are looking at, well, whatever good days there were have come and gone. Things are not so good now. Many of them are losing customers to Vietnam. Uh, a lot of them are being impacted by the higher costs, uh, lost business due to tariffs, etc. And so there's um, more and more issues with uh, not, uh, not, not performing in the way that they once did or should. And so that's something that uh, definitely needs to be looked at. Uh, that's why in my business, um, you know, part of what I do is, you know, show up and make sure people are doing what they're supposed to do and what's going on. Uh, a lot of times, a uh, customer places an order with a factory and they farm it out because uh, they want to get it done cheaper. And there's nothing wrong with getting it done cheaper if it's done uh, to, uh, to a, a, a suitable quality standard. And so a lot of times that's an issue. Uh, so these are some things that need to be uh, looked at. And it's always good to make sure that you have someone you know, checking up, uh, doing a due diligence check, uh, doing a... a uh an audit quality audit uh, on your behalf it doesn't cost that much money but it can save you a lot in the long term a lot of headache another thing too that i've been hearing more and more about is that a lot of chinese companies that are dealing with new companies are basically uh applying for the trademark in china so let's say uh, your name is you know you're the uh, good company brand and uh, you're selling all over the world, and you're buying from the Chinese supplier, and uh, you know you haven't been selling in China yet. Now you go to sell in China under your own trademark name, good company brand, and you find that you can't do that. And you say, what do you mean? Well, because there's already uh, a branded uh, agent, a name holder here in, in, in China, and uh, a lot of times, the company will apply for it or ask someone to apply for it uh, so they can go ahead and take advantage of that, either get money from you uh, to use that brand or they've been selling under it the whole time while you haven't been selling it And possibly, in some cases, I've also been hearing that uh, Chinese factories, Chinese companies that do this um, are selling uh, not just within China, but also taking orders with that brand name on it. And a lot of times using the design from you, the customer. So these are some things to be aware of. One thing I do a lot of is work with people to look at options, uh, either finding other suppliers in China or in case of what I was just talking about with the whole tariff issue and uh, the changing uh, picture in China, some of the issues there, we also have excellent uh, resources in uh, Taiwan, Thailand, Vietnam, and elsewhere. So that's what I work on. One thing actually I'm doing right now as I record this, is I'm drinking some tea. A plug for tea. You know, before I came to Taiwan, I was not a big tea uh, tea drinker per se. I mean, actually all I drank for the most part was like, you know, iced tea, lemon tea, whatever, out of a can. An Occasional cup of tea, maybe when you're sick, but of course, uh, Taiwan and China, big tea culture. And when I started doing business here, I would um, you know, visit the factory and inevitably the factory owner will make you some tea and usually they'll get the good stuff. Now I had no concept, there was good tea and bad tea, never really thought about it. This is pre Starbucks days, didn't even really think about good coffee and bad coffee. But anyhow, um, what happened was, when I was doing business I started getting good tea and I guess I had a good palate and was able to pick up on that and so when I would drink uh, I would be offered like regular tea or drink, you know, regular tea at home. I did enjoy it. I was kind of ruined. I was spoiled by uh, drinking the better tea. So to this day, I appreciate good uh, high mountain uh, oolong oolong tea. If you haven't had it, you should try some. Uh, it's got a really clean and, and kind of a, a fragrant, very fresh taste. So to this day, I'm a big uh, oolong, oolong tea guy. Um, another memory. I was uh, thinking about uh, sharing on was when I uh, started doing business I was working for an American fishing rod company I think I mentioned them before and um, I needed to do uh, a visa trip uh, to uh, well I chose to go to Korea at that time when I say visa trip because I was originally here in Taiwan on a a tourist visa which you need to uh, renew every two months and I think uh, then, yeah, you yeah, leave once uh, every six months, and they don't care where you go, and they don't uh, they don't require it be for any amount of time. So technically, if there's some way you can leave the country, get a stamp and, and return immediately, they can accept that. So at that time, I felt that Korea was probably one of the closest countries um, to do that in reasonable airfare. So I decided to go there, and actually, at this time, was right before the Korean Olympics. So this going back quite a bit. This is about oh, 30 years ago. And um, so I got to Korea. This is my second trip, actually. So I already had been informed by a friend of mine. He told me, well, when you're in Korea, they have like three or four different kinds of taxis. So be mindful when you're at the airport, says you want to deal with the guys. I think it's either one to uh, deal with a guy that has the meter or certain guys that if you know where you're going, you know what the fair prices and you can deal with some of the guys that are not on the meter and just you quote them a rate. So I already knew there was a few different systems and what to watch out for. So, got out of the airport and in the, in the cab line. So I'm kind of checking out. look Okay, this guy is one of the guys you talk about rates with. And so I did that. And he didn't want to give me the rate uh, I felt was fair. So I figured, okay, let me, let me wait and uh, grab the next cab. Well, some guy comes walking over to me, very serious uh, looking guy. And he says, what's the problem, sir? I'm thinking to myself, what the heck is this guy? I mean, why, why does he care what's going on? And you know, and so I'm just kind of you know trying to ignore him politely, I guess. And he said, like, sir, what's the problem? I'm like, what the heck? And like, okay, I get it. He must be like a plainclothes cop or something. So I said, "Well, no problem." I said, "You know, I'm waiting for a cab, and you know, I just uh, I'll wait for another one because this guy uh, can come can come to terms on a race. He Says, uh, "Leave it, leave it to me, sir." I said, "No, that's it. Leave it to me, sir." Okay. So he goes ahead and rattles off in Korean uh, to the cab driver and says, "It's okay, sir," and, and I'm still not wanting to get it. I said, "That's it. It's okay, sir." I said, for crying out loud, this guy just won't give up. So reluctantly I get in the car and the driver uh, doesn't say anything and uh, we proceed outside of the airport. As soon as we get outside of the main gate of the airport, he pulls over and motions with his hand, okay, sir, you can get out here. Now I didn't have to pay him anything, but I know what's going on. He didn't want to take me uh, for that price. I didn't want to get in there. Neither of us had a choice because the Korean cop decided he was going to do his thing and uh, settle the problem, which of course just kicked the can down the road. Uh, We have the problem now uh, outside the airport, so now I have to get another cab uh, outside the airport, the main gate, and I forget if it was a a meter guy or whatever, but I got a guy uh, to take me uh, for a ferry to where I want to go, which I believe was Itaewon. Uh, That's the uh, part of uh, Seoul that's over by the, uh, the uh, the U.S. base, and that's where my hotel was. Another interesting thing on that trip, I mentioned it was uh, right before the Olympics. Um, When it was time to leave, I actually, I believe I took a bus from the airport, I'm sorry, from the hotel to the airport, and when we got uh, to the airport, they had extra security, so they stopped the bus, and they wanted to check the passports of all the foreigners on the bus. Now, it's pretty easy to spot me as a foreigner amongst a bus full of Korean people. Um, I don't have blonde hair and blue eyes, but I also don't have black hair and black eyes. And so uh, they came to me. And, and one of the, 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 they didn't come on with a cop. I don't know if it was immigration, but they had soldiers there with M16. So they had like a young soldier get on the bus with the guy asking for your passport uh, carrying an M16. I've got to admit, that's not a very comfortable. Uh, situation. The optics on that are kind of intense and a bit severe. But that's just kind of the way they do things. And so you just, of course, show your passport. And I did. And I got a nod. Okay. And uh, the young soldier guy with the M-16 uh, eventually got off the bus. And I relaxed a little bit. And we got into the airport. The Koreans uh, are some of the more intense People in Asia, they, they tend to be a little bit uh, more uptight and serious, I'd say, um, even even more so than Japan, and that's just part of the culture. Of course, there's some really nice people there. It just it's a cultural thing, and that's just one thing with them. If you see, you'll see at the uh, if you've ever seen pictures at the uh, demilitarized zone, which is basically the line that goes between. Uh, North Korea and South Korea, they're soldiers on each side and their normal position is kind of like clenched and, and slightly bent over. I mean, clearly it's uncomfortable and that's like their form of attention. Uh, I guess they feel that looks more uh, serious and, and, and is more intimidating, e- even though each side is doing that. And they're basically the same race of people, so they know the, it's the same culture, uh, but that's just kind of a cultural thing with them. Chinese can be kind of serious too but not nearly on that level they tend to be more relaxed uh, overall and I'd say uh, the Taiwanese um, same thing and probably even more relaxed. I I guess the the Taiwanese probably have a lot more uh, American culture in the mix so uh, they seem seem to be a little bit more uh, easygoing and uh, Asian people overall are friendly like I said these are these are just cultural things it's not one good group, one bad group. It's just like our culture. We, you don't notice your own culture. It's like air, you just breathe. Uh, if someone says to you, oh, what do you think about the air? You're gonna say, unless it's polluted and you smell it, you say, what do you mean about the air? You know, you just breathe it. And culture is kind of the same thing. Culture is like the air. Just if you grow up in a certain culture, you just think it's normal. So if you're, if you're from a farm town in Iowa, uh, that's normal. Just like me being from Brooklyn, New York, uh, that style of life was, was normal to me. So that's that's how culture is. You don't really uh, notice culture and still, until you get away uh, from your own and you start to see things that you're not used to and then you either ask questions or think about it. And so that's, that's something, uh, of course, that I did and have done quite a bit living here. On that note, I remember one time I was in Taipei and I fell asleep uh, on the bus uh, from I guess I was leaving home, going to work, and uh, kind of waking up and realizing, wait a second, why are all these Taiwan? Why are all these Chinese people on the bus? And it's like, well, duh, you know, you're in Taiwan. But you know, having just fallen asleep, it took me a minute to kind of uh, get a grip on what was going on, and um, also too. Another cultural memory I have was uh, the first time, you know, I I don't know if I mentioned, I I did study Chinese for two years as part of my major at the University of Arizona. And uh, coming here, you know, it was kind of rusted. It had been about eight years since I had studied the language and uh, used the language very much. So I was kind of getting back into it. So it was very challenging. I mean, uh, I remember one time, I think I mentioned last time, uh, eating suey jiao, uh, eating dumplings for the first time and having some garlic. In that same shop in that same evening was one of the uh, the boss's friends was being very friendly and trying to engage me in conversation. And my Chinese was pretty rusty. And he was asking me something and it just didn't register. They kept asking me, uh, mei, jin, uh, mei, yin. mei Jin, Mei Yan, Mei Jin, Mei And it's just not, you know. And finally, I think someone in, in broken English said to me, American dollar. I'm like, ah, Okay. And so, anyhow, um, I uh, I was um, sleeping one time around, you know, probably month two into my uh, time here and I remember being really excited when I woke up because I realized I was speaking Chinese in my dream. I think I was actually counting in Chinese in my dream and that was so encouraging to me because I felt like, wow. Um, being immersed in Chinese culture and Chinese language here is really daunting, and I don't know how much progress I'm making. I'm hoping I'm making some, but I realized from that dream that that was uh, an indicator that in fact I was making some progress in my in, in in my language skills. Well, in closing, I think we should still keep an eye on what's going on in Hong Kong. If you're interested in that, I realize, you know, as a political football, you know, these things are, mali- uh, are uh, manipulated but uh, there are some serious issues there. I mean, Hong Kong has been uh, one of the key international spots in the world, especially you know in Asia, and it's kind of obvious that you know some major changes are happening there, and we'll see what that we'll we'll see what that entails. But uh, those people need support. I think it's good that people are taking more notice, uh, and I think we all need to be held accountable to. Um, deals and agreements. And I think uh, some, some countries or some political groups that control company, countries uh, are less uh, good partners and uh, less faithful in adhering to the terms of the agreement. And I think that's a major issue there. So I think we're dealing uh, in that side of the world. Uh, we're dealing with, you know, not so much, well, cultural issues because they're impacted by the ruling uh, political party. Uh, because obviously you know uh, politics uh, also informs and impacts on culture so on that note I think we'll call it a day and uh, be uh, be back in touch soon and uh, hopefully get some guests on here pretty soon take care